Is it white? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, the story begins. Now we got to behave. Hmm. So we're on chapter 39, page 450. This is a very difficult chapter. We're most certainly going to split this up into parts. It's a difficult chapter because there is a lot of Kabbalistic expressions thrown around and discussion thrown around. A lot of what we call Kabbalistic geography is thrown around. So it, it can get intricate, but we're going to do our best to make sense of it. And we'll try to keep things as uh, down to earth as possible. We're continuing our conversation from chapter 38 about the importance and the necessity of kavanah when it comes to mitzvahs. Prior to chapter 38, um, chapters 35 to 37, we were focusing on the importance of deed and saying that even if we're not feeling it, it's the action that actually brings an impact into this physical world. And that's what ultimately brings Mashiach. That's what ultimately readies this world and makes it a better place. Action, right? Action is it, action says a lot more than, than passion. Then in chapter 38, we said, nevertheless, kavana, passion. I'm using the word kavana, which means intention, passion, love, reverence, all these words. I'm using them interchangeably. Um, is still necessary because a mitzvah without kavanah is like a body without a soul. It needs life to it. It has to have life. It has to have, because why is kavanah important? Because without kavanah, it's not really a relationship, right? If you take your, um, if you hire a tailor, to make you a nice garment, a nice dress, a nice suit. You don't really care if they had kavana. You don't really care if they put love into it or not. <laughs> if they made a nice suit, they made a nice suit. You don't care if they were passionate or not, right? They have a job to do. But God doesn't want um, our service just to be a job that we have to do. He wants it to be an act of service that we get to do, that we're passionate about because that brings his presence into this world in a much more revealed way. Essentially, Kavana is, what is Kavana? Just to remind ourselves real quickly, let's take a look back on chapter 38, page 441. What is Kavana? Passion, love, what, am, what exactly am I loving? What exactly am I passionate about? What exactly am I revering? So the last paragraph on 441, Kavana here mean, meaning that a person is generally attentive that these mitzvah acts are being carried out to attach himself to God through fulfilling God's will, since God and his will are one. Kavana means I'm intentionally doing this mitzvah to actually connect to God. I want to have a relationship with him. And that's why I want to do this. Kavana will manifest itself in the trait of passion love, as well as reverence. At the end of chapter 38, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, so bear with me. At the end of chapter 38, we discussed two levels of Kavana. Anybody remember the two levels? Or any, any one of the two levels? Okay, we'll refresh our memory. Level number one is called intellectual kavana. That's a human level of kavana. It's a level of kavana, passion, reverence, love that is developed with the mind. And then the lower level of kavana is called instinctual kavana or natural kavana. Um, and that's more of the analogy is that of an animal. Because what is the difference between a human and an animal? Intellect and instincts. 
But to spell these out a little bit more clearly, let's read them inside. We'll start with the higher level of Kavana, the human level of Kavana, the, the um, intellectual Kavana. We'll spell that out a little bit more clearly on 447. The last, it's a long paragraph, but we'll read through it very quickly. It's Hebrew and English, so it's not as long as it looks. Don't be intimidated. Uh, <laughs> bottom of 447, the last bold paragraph, it's sort of in the middle of the page, under where it says 6th of Nisan. For if your mental disposition is good, to think about God, to contemplate his greatness, so that your powers of Bina cognition give rise to higher reverence in your mind, and a love of God in your heart's right chamber, so that your soul thirsts for God to connect to him through observing the Torah and mitzvahs, which pull the blessed infant light down to illuminate your soul so as to connect with God. And it's with this intention that you study Torah and observe the mitzvahs. And it's with this intention that next page 448, you pray and recite blessings. So here's the punchline. Top of 448. And I actually underlined this in my book. Then this level of Kavana could be compared to the highest of the four categories, human. Since a human has intellect, free of choice, and speaks intelligently, and if you engage these higher uniquely human, um, and you have engaged these higher uniquely human faculties in your Kavana. When we intentionally meditate, on the greatness of God, on our relationship with him, on his relevance to us, and we feel passionate about him. And now we incorporate that passion in our service. That's called the human level of Kavana because it's developed intentionally. I chose to be passionate about God because the mind is, what we think about is a choice. What we feel though is less of a choice. And that's why the, in, the instinctual kavana that we'll discuss next is more like an animal, which is more instinctual. We're not saying it's necessarily worse and we'll discuss the, uh, the, the pros and cons in a minute when we get back to chapter 39. Real quick question. You yeah, use please. the word meditate. Is that the same as pray? Good question. That's a good question. Yes and no. Um, that's a very good question. Prayer is a form of meditation. Um, throughout the prayers, you know, we're describing the greatness of God, his role in our lives, our role in his um, world. And these are forms of meditation that are supposed to lead us to some sort of passion. So definitely, um, but there's also, but it's not, a, it's not limited to prayer. Um, you can have a more freestyle level of meditation as well, um, especially before prayer. Prayer itself is like a meditation, but to get into the mode of prayer, you know, it, it's definitely appropriate to, to meditate a few minutes before. Um, but when we say meditate, meditation means not to space out of the world, but actually to space in, to focus. Uh, you see the difference? Meditation is often understood as clearing our mind, relaxing, and nothing exists. And we're just, and there's not, I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's just not the context of, of what we mean here when we say meditation. And in our context, what we mean by meditation is to actually focus on an idea, on our relationship with God, on his, uh, to, and, and that will actually um, awaken and evoke passion and reverence for God. Make sense? That's one type of kavana. That's a human level of kavana because to have that level of kavana, you cannot have it if you don't choose to have it. That's a choice. It requires a lot of work. It requires effort. Try meditating on an idea, on a single idea for a minute. That's difficult. You can do it, you can. Or you could start off 20 seconds. 
Um, first of all, if you do it, especially before prayer, about to pray in the morning, close your eyes and think about to whom we're about to pray. And it makes the prayer experience a lot more meaningful. But it's so difficult. 20 seconds is a lot. Those are going to be the longest 20 seconds ever. Um, but eventually you'll build it up to 25 seconds. You don't even have to time it. That's the truth. It'll probably be more meaningful if we don't time it. But then there's a, so here's the second level of meditation. Uh, sorry, the second level of Kavana. It's more of not a human level of Kavana. And it's not an intellectual level of Kavana. It's more instinctual. It's more natural. Let's read through it quickly on 448. It's the, again, the last bold paragraph. It starts in the middle of the page, right? So far, we're with me, right? We're on the boat. We're in the ark. Okay. This is, this, you'll see as everything comes together, why this is so important. As for someone who is weak in his ability to think about God and contemplate the greatness of the blessed infinite one, right? Maybe we're not in a place right now at this moment where we can just think and focus and, and, and develop an intellectual appreciation. And his powers of Bina cognition won't give rise to a palpable love of God in his heart, nor reverence of God in his mind, nor fear in his heart. And all he can do is recall and awaken the natural latent love in his heart. Remember the dormant love we spoke about in chapter 18? And bring that love out of its hidden latent state so that even if it can't inspire his heart to palpable emotion, it's at least conscious in his mind so that the will of his mind and the hidden places of his heart are in full and absolute agreement with complete authenticity to actually give up his life to affirm God's unity if put to the test. And this theoretical willingness to give up his life is seriously contemplated so as to have enthusiasm to attach to God, his divine soul, and its garments so that they can be absorbed in God's unity and oneness. So there's a second type of love where I'm not thinking about the greatness of God and now appreciating it. I'm just remembering that deep down inside, I really do care, even if intellectually I'm not in the mood. But deep down inside, in the most hidden places of my heart, I do care. Right? And because I care, I'm going to do the right thing, even though I don't feel that I care right now, right? But I know that I care, right? It's, it's a more instinctual connection than an intellectual connection. I feel that I really do care, so I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to refrain from the wrong thing. Take a look at 449, the second to last paragraph. And I actually underlined um, the first two lines over here. This level, the second last paragraph, 449, this level of intent can be compared to the soul of an animal that has no substantive intellect or free choice. And all its emotions, which are the fear of things it deemed harmful and the love of things it deems enjoyable are merely innate to it and not the result of cognition or thought, right? In other words, you might have a pet, right? your dog and you feel that your dog has a strong connection to you and you have a strong connection with your dog but your dog didn't wake up in the morning and think about all the things that uh that you did with it and remembered all the great times it's more instinctual it's natural you, you built a connection it's a more natural connection it's not an intellectual connection that's not a problem it's just a different level it's a different type of connection and sometimes that's the relationship we have with God. Sometimes our relationship is more instinctual. I'm just feeling it. And even if I'm not feeling it, deep down inside, I know I can feel it. And I know deep down inside, I know I can care. Okay, so that's in, that's, um, in summation, the two levels of Kavana. The human level of Kavana, which is intellectually chosen through thinking and the animal level of Kavana, which is more intuitive, instinctual, 
And that's just through feeling. Okay, we're with me? Okay, now we're ready to start chapter 39. <laughs> but that background was crucial and you'll soon see why. So the angels in heaven, angels are a real thing. Um, it's not necessarily the way the movies depict them. But the way the angels love God, the angels are passionate about God. What type of kavanah, of love, passion, reverence do they experience? Exactly. For the most part, an angel is going to experience the lower level of kavanah, the lower level of love. Right? So let's take a look on the bottom of 450, the second to last paragraph. And this description of lower instinctual kavana as animal in character is also the reason why angels are called chayot, wild beasts, and behemoth, animals. An angel is called an animal. Um, throughout the various verses in the prophets, um, especially Ezekiel, where he describes his um, experience of seeing the angels, he describes them as animals. And he gives them, he uses, um, he, he uses the analogy of, of animals, in, of giving anthropomorphic um, descriptions of, anim, uh, of angels using animals. And the reason is because, not because they necessarily literally look like an animal, but because they actually have the same characteristic of this animal type love, instinctual love, right? Animals are instinctual, angels are instinctual. An angel didn't choose to love God. In fact, angels don't have free choice. Angels have zero free choice. A human has free choice. A human has a mind to make choices, right? That's why it says, that God created man, mankind, in his image. He didn't create angels in his image, which is interesting. Because think about that for a second. Who's more spiritual, angels or humans? Angels are more spiritual. But who is created in God's image? Humans, not angels, right? In what sense were we created in God's image? We have the ability to make choices. Intellectual choices, objective choices, at least to some degree. An angel doesn't have that ability. An angel cannot rebel. Doesn't want to rebel. Um, so, so are you saying that an angel can have make bad choices? Well, it can't make any choices. They it just can't make it exactly. It's like a robot. Angels are kind of programmed. So, but we, we've got a soul, so we never become an angel. Angels are separate entities. Exactly. You can become like an angel. You can become angel-like, and we'll talk about that well, soon. Until you become godlike. Well, the, the truth is we're actually greater than angels. Yeah. We're not because we've got choice. spiritual. Exactly. In other words, look at it this way. Our love for God is not as great as angels, sorry, is not as strong as angels. So if you were to somehow quantify the trait of love, I don't know how you can do that, but, or the trait of reverence, theoretically, if you were to have an emotion meter, <laughs> right? Let's say we invented this emotion meter. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna patent it, right? You could measure people's emotions. Um, there, there was a relationship researcher. He's, a, he's actually a, an observant Jew. But he's in all of the textbooks, in all the that we learn in, in, in studying for marriage and family therapy. His name is John Gottman. And he had what's called the love lab. And he would interview, he wanted to learn more about relationships and dynamics. And he would have couples sit there and he would interview them. 
He would he wouldn't actually interview me. He would just watch them interact with each other, and he would measure their heart rate. He would measure their pulse. He would measure everything. Um, and he would follow these couples for thirty years and learned a lot about relationships. Let's say we. I, I just rem remember when I said um, emotion meter. I thought of that. Let's say we had an emotion meter and the angel would step on the emotion meter. The human would step onto the emotion meter. Who would have a higher level of passion? The angel would. Because the angel is in heaven. The angel has that clarity. The angel doesn't have uh, an inkling toward evil. But whose love would be more qualitative? Whose love would be more valuable? The human, right? Think about it. Hey, I need to, I need to understand the concept of angels. Okay. Because for me, an angel is somebody who's passed away and then become an angel, like as in become so, a- So that, that's a, that would be their, just their soul. So then what's um, it? Uh, okay, so an, an angel is, good, good question. Let's take a step back. And I'm, I'm glad you raised that to my uh, awareness. Because, I mean, I don't see the difference in concept. I don't, I don't know that concept. An, an angel, traditionally, when we say angel in, in a Jewish context, an angel is a messenger of God. Okay. It's a spiritual messenger of God. Um kind of like a spiritual robot. So they're already, they're already bringing God's message down, but they're not, they don't use their soul anymore. So, so I'll, I'll give, they're not necessarily manifested in a, in a physical body either. I'll give you an example. Um, when Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old, God commands him to get a bris. So to circumcise at his old and tender age. And Abraham is sitting outside in the heat of the day after his bris. And Abraham loved guests. He loved guests. And God made it very hot outside as to deter guests from coming because Abraham needed a break. Abraham didn't care. He didn't want a break. He wanted guests. So God sent three guests. And the Torah says that God sent three angels. They looked like humans. They were disguised as human beings, but they were actually angels. Um, and they were just messengers. They actually had a very specific job, those three angels. Is the story familiar? Yeah. Somewhat? Okay. So these three angels actually had very specific jobs. One of them was there to heal Abraham. That was the angel of Raphael. Have you heard the name Raphael? Yeah, many times. <laughs> so the name Raphael mean, is a compound of two words, Rofe the healer, Cal of God, the healer of God. Then there was another angel that was there to bring good news to Abraham, the news that they're going to be having a child, at which point Sarah laughed, right? And then they named the child Isaac, Yitzchak, which means laugh. That angel was Michael. Michael is a compound word. Mikael, who is like God, right? Bringing goodness and kindness. And then the third angel was there to actually turn over the city of Sodom, where there was, um, what's the word? Chaos going on in that city. Sound familiar? <laughs> Timely? No. <laughs> Just where, where there was chaos going in that city, God sent the angel of Gabriel, right? Gabriel. Gabriel is a compound word. Gibor, the strong one, Kel of God. These angels were literally just messenger. What if that angel said, I'm not going to heal God. I don't want to heal Abraham. You know, he doesn't have a choice. <laughs> That's what he's there to do, right? God tells us to do something and we might decide to do it. We might decide not to do it. We have free choice. Um, an angel doesn't have free choice. So when an angel loves God, it doesn't choose to love God. It's programmed to love God. Um, and especially the environment in which, um, which it's in, 
And by the way, it says, I believe it's from the Talmud, but I don't remember the exact source, that the giants that are described in the Torah, um, such as Og and other giants, those were angels that have uh, gone south <laughs> and ended up falling into this world. But we'll have to save that discussion for another time. But but that, but that's basically what an angel is. An angel does is an a angel, spiritual. Does an angel have a soul? An angel does have a, a soul, and it oh. has it has some sort of body and soul, but not like a human does. Um, it has a soul in terms of it a life force. It has a spiritual life force that keeps it alive. It has some sort of entity that contains it um but it's not like a human at all so can you recognize an angel like today they don't exist well no one recognizes to see if i mean in those days you might have been in tune well but the truth is abraham didn't recognize them either so every person could be an angel and it's your message so you need to listen very carefully to every something yeah, it, you know, Abraham didn't know they were angels. Abraham thought they were human beings. He started feeding them. Or, and or, the commentary, Rashi says that they were pretending to eat because when in Rome, you know, you got to follow the, you got to follow the, the uh, rules of the land. <laughs> when you're on here on earth, you eat. <laughs> are there angels now? Yeah, there's angels now. They're not necessarily here on this world. Um, if God has a message uh, if God has a job for them to complete, he will send them here. Yeah. Um, if you get a message, like maybe in your sleep, you need to adhere to, like, listen to it and make... <laughs> to a degree, there is a whole discussion about dreams and its validity, um, to what degree they're valid. So, but so you have to be awake then when this angel arrives. So you might not know it's an angel. Um, it's not something that we're necessarily... Uh, as regular folk ready to experience abraham wasn't ready to experience an angel they dressed like human beings he didn't know he was he was at least on a very literal level he was um he was fooled into, into thinking that they're humans that god you know maybe like a prophet type of thing but they were actually an angel they didn't have the choice to rebel against god they they had to do what god said they were just programmed and so that, that's kind of what an angel is it's a spiritual Almost like a, I hate to use this word, but almost like a pet or like a, a spiritual pet to God. <laughs> you know, God has his children and he has his pets and they're trained very well, his pets, right? And he might say to his pet, hey, go get the tennis ball, right? Hey, go down to earth and do this and this and this. And, and of course, the master said to do it. Right? God might tell us to do something and eh, we, and that's part of life. He wants us to make those choices. So when that angel experiences love for God though, it's, it's programmed to experience that love for God. And because it's programmed to experience that love for God, it might be a very passionate love, but it's not as qualitative compared to the love of a human being. So when we, so the instinctual love that we might have that isn't chosen, it's just instinctual, right? Remembering deep down that we really do care. That's similar to an animal's love because it's instinctual. An angel has that same love. A tzaddik, conversely, has a human love. The love of God that a tzaddik has is one that they've intentionally chosen, thought about. Right? They really thought about their relationship with God and they really, it makes sense to them. They get it, right? And that's why, take a look on 451, the third paragraph of the page. It's the second bold paragraph. And this is powerful. And that's why tzaddikim, a tzaddik, is considered to be higher than angels. Even though angels are, angels are spiritual beings and a tzaddik is a mortal of flesh and blood, nevertheless, they're considered to be higher, even though their awareness of God is much lower than that of angels. Because what a tzaddik achieves is earned and not instinctual. 
when we earn our relationship with God, when we choose our relationship with God, it's much more precious than we're to be when we're then we're just uh, deep down inside programmed to experience it, right? So the Talmud actually, there's an anecdote recorded in the Talmud. Moses goes up to Sinai, Mount Sinai, to receive the Torah on behalf of the Jewish people. And God is handing off the Torah to Moses. And the angels say, wait a minute, God, why are you giving the Torah to a human being? The Torah is so divine. Why wouldn't you give it to celestial beings? Why wouldn't you give it to us, to the angels? And God says, that's a very good point. Moses, can you respond? <laughs> Defend yourself. And Moses says to the angels, do you ever have doubts in your faith? Angels say, of course not. We're angels. We're perfect. Oh, okay. Do you ever have the drive to go astray, to, to idolize, to, idol, to, to serve idolatry? Of course not. Okay. Do you ever have the lust to commit adultery? Of course not. Do you ever have the, um, do you have parents that you disrespect ever? No, of course not. And Moses actually goes through each of the Ten Commandments, showing them they that they're they don't need them. It's totally irrelevant to Moses, to, to, to the angels. And Moses concludes and says, do you have a yetzer hara? Do you have an evil inclination? The angels say no. So Moses says, well, I rest my case. You don't need the Torah. Human beings are on a higher level. We're creating the image of God because we can choose bad, yet we choose good. Or at least we're supposed to choose. We have the ability to choose good. We're, we're creating the divine image. We need the Torah. The angels don't. I'll tell you a great story. Two, two stories. Story number one. There was a yeshiva bacher, yeshiva boy, a student. And he grew up he did not grow up in a um, observant home and wasn't given Jewish education as a young child. And going through his Jewish journey and developing his Jewish identity, it was very difficult for him. Very, very difficult. He had a hard time. And he felt like he kept slipping away from where he wanted to actually be in his observance and in his relationship with Judaism, his relationship with God, he was having a very difficult time. And he spoke to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and he expressed his concerns to the Rebbe. I'm going through a hard time. And he told him the situation that he's becoming more observant and he feels like he's slipping away constantly and just falling. And, and the challenges are just too much for him, more than what he feels they can he can handle. The Rebbe told him that these challenges are serving as a ladder, are paving a road for you. These challenges are actually bringing you to a higher place. And he didn't really get it. That sounded very theological or very philosophical to him, but the concept wasn't clear. And the Rebbe saw that. So the Rebbe said, let me give you an example. What are your hobbies? What is your hobby? What do you enjoy in life? He said, I like art. Okay. What artist do you like? He says, I like Picasso. I love Picasso's paintings. What is your favorite painting of Picasso? And he starts to describe a particular painting that stuck out in mind. Now, Picasso freaks me out. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Those images. <laughs> I cannot handle this. <laughs> if you know Picasso, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I crack myself up sometimes, but <laughs> so he starts describing a particular painting that he <laughs> that he enjoys. It was a beautiful sunset on the beach with children playing with the sand, the water hitting the sand, with the sun rays, the whole situation. And as he's describing it, he's in this really good place and he's really passionate. 
And the rabbit told him, well, let me ask you a question. How much does that painting go for? He says, $8 million. That Picasso painting, the original, is an $8 million painting. So the rabbit told him, let me ask you a question. What if I were to get you a photograph of that same exact scene, that same exact beach with the sand, with the water, water hitting the sand, with the sun rays shining on the water, with the children playing, all that exact same scene with the fluffy clouds? Oh, it's a photograph, not a painting. It's going to be more accurate, right? Picasso's not accurate at all. And the slanted eyeballs and the whole, it's gonna be a lot more accurate. What would you say to that? How much would that cost? So he says about 25 cents. Well, why the discrepancy here? Why is a painting that is so imperfect worth more than a photograph that is so accurate. And with this, the Rebbe drove his point home that the effort that goes into the painting, the passion that goes into the painting, the imperfection that is in that painting is precisely what makes it valuable. That angels like that perfect, an angel's like a perfect picture, a perfect photograph, and it's beautiful. It really is beautiful and it really is accurate. But there's something to say for the effort that goes in, the ability to mess up. What makes us so valuable as humans is our imperfections. Because we can specific, because we can mess up. When the Baal Shem Tov, who founded the Hasidic movement, revealed the idea of Hasidic wisdom this whole new way of viewing life from the soul perspective. When he first began on tour, <laughs> Vashemtov wasn't known and he didn't necessarily want to be known at the beginning, but he would go on informal tours, going around literally just to inspire people. He would tell people anecdotes from the Talmud about the Jewish people's relationship with one another and the relationship with God, literally just trying to uplift the hearts of broken people, especially the simple people. That's who the Baal valued most. He really focused on the simple people because they were kind of thrown under the bus. They weren't a scholar and the, the Baal had a whole, looked at the soul, didn't look at the intellect. And the Baal once was describing how much God values his children, despite the um, despite our limited capabilities as humans, or perhaps because of our limited capabilities as humans, and the Vashemtov drew an analogy. The analogy that he gave was there was a Talmudic scholar. I forgot his title, but his name was Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov, he was in the times of the Vashemtov, was a Talmudic scholar. Rabbi Yaakov knew the entire Talmud by heart, together with the commentaries on the margins of the page, and would review the Talmud. He would literally just study Talmud all day. He was an incredible Torah scholar. He, he, he was well-versed in Jewish law. Review the Talmud without a book. He didn't need the book. To give you some context, what that means. The Talmud is, hold on, where are we? All these books over here. He said, Rabbi Yaakov was a big, big scholar. Nobody would doubt his competence in the Jewish religion. Rabbi Yaakov was in, his, uh, was in the Beit Midrash, was in the synagogue studying by heart. And he heard nearby, perhaps a couple tables away, a child explaining a Torah concept to someone else. It was a young child. And for the child's level, it was quite impressive. It wasn't nearly as impressive as Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov was an elderly gentleman, an accomplished scholar. But for the child's age, I assume he was under the age of bar mitzvah, 
it was quite impressive and it caught Rabbi Yaakov's ear and he was getting nachas. As Sammy Davis Jr. used to say, nachas baby. Um, <laughs> he's looking at um, the child and he's just getting nachas, he's impressed. He's so impressed, wow. Wow, this guy, this kid, how does he know so much? Now, why, does he, why is he so impressed, said the Baal Shem Tov. Why is Rabbi Yaakov so impressed? He knows nearly not as much as Rabbi Yaakov himself. So what's impressive? Okay, relative to Rabbi Yaakov, he might not know that much. That's fine. He's a child. But relative to the child himself, wow, that's impressive. The Baal Shem Tov said it's the same when a Jewish person does a mitzvah in this world. And when we have passion for God in this world, when we intentionally choose to feel God in our lives, wow, that's impressive. Relative to the angel, maybe it's not impressive. But relative to ourselves, it's much more valuable and qualitative than that of the angel's love. Make sense? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're comparing the love that a tzaddik would experience and which we might experience sometimes if we're um, trying to tap into that level of love to the level of love that an angel would have. And although if you were to put them both on love meters, on Kavana meters, the angels would measure higher, our level of love would measure to be greater. A tzaddik's love now, this gets a little bit complicated, and I'm going to try to avoid Kabbalistic jargon for the sake of clarity. To compare and contrast the love that a human, a tzaddik would have, and we'll talk about regular folk in a minute, but uh, compare the love that a tzaddik would have to the level of love that an angel would have There are different spiritual worlds and the spiritual level, the spiritual worlds. I don't know what worlds means. I always hear the word worlds. There's different worlds discussed in Kabbalah. It sounds like planets, but it's not. What a world means is different levels of spiritual awareness, of divine awareness. And the level of love, of Kavanah, that a tzaddik would have through intentionally choosing, intellectually choosing to think about God, where that would take him to would be a clarity of intellectual clarity, a high level of intellectual clarity. Kabbalah calls this the world of Bria. And we might not be so clear on what that means at this point, but the more Hasidic literature we study, the more you'll hear that concept because it's discussed in Kabbalah a lot. That takes him to the spiritual awareness, the spiritual world, the divine world of Bria, which is a level of clarity, of intellectual clarity. That's where God's intellect would be expressed. A ta an angel's love, an angel's passion would lead him to a lower level of clarity, a lower level of divine awareness. It would be an emotional level of divine awareness, not an, not an intellectual level of divine awareness. That's what's called the spiritual world of Yitzirah. Okay, make sense? So a tzaddik who has intellectual who has intellectually chosen to think about God and love God is going to experience clarity from God from uh, going to experience an intellectual clarity. A angel is going to experience an emotional clarity because he has that instinctual love that he didn't really choose to have. It's going to be a much lower level. It's going to be less, a less qualitative level. Okay. Now, what about us regular folk who aren't necessarily a tzaddik, right? I know for myself, I speak for myself here, I don't have the level of love um, that is intellectually chosen. <laughs> I haven't meditated for hours upon end to try to really 
work and develop my passion. In fact, the passion that I have for God and my Judaism primarily is because I just care deep down inside, right? I'm an instinctual lover. I'm like that animal, <laughs> right? And if we're not a tzaddik, that's more of the level of love that we would probably relate to, the um, angel level of love. I want to ask you, so if you get an insight into the love and why you do it and why you're so passionate about it, an insight into why your animal works so well and, and it loves so well with the, your relationship with Hashem, does that mean that you become more tzaddik? Or you actually can it's it's an intellectual level of love. I would say it's a tzaddik moment. I wouldn't tzaddik. say it necessarily makes you a yeah, I wouldn't say it makes you a tzaddik, but it's a tzaddik quality. Does that make so sense? you've been doing something for years and then all of a sudden you realize the passion and where the passion comes from in terms of your relationship and it takes another level. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, we can have tzaddik qualities. It's not going to make us a tzaddik necessarily. And the goal of Tanya is not necessarily to become a tzaddik, but it definitely brings us to a tzaddik quality, a tzaddik um, characteristic. But let's say I haven't done that yet, or I'm not at this particular moment at a point where I'm doing that. And I'm just, I care. I'm Thanks. a Jew and I care, right? It's instinctual. So now my level of love is not going to reach as high as an angel. Sorry, as high as, as a tzaddik. But the truth is, actually, as he says in the Tanya, when I do experience intellectual love for the most part, sorry, sorry, let me take a step back. So how can I ever get this level of clarity? How can I get to the level, level of clarity that a tzaddik has? <laughs> and what he says on page 455 is that on Shabbat, on Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, those are special days. And those are days where the world of Bria, the spiritual awareness that is in Bria, the intellectual clarity that a tzaddik would experience is accessible to all on Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. And the reason is because on Shabbos, this is a deep Kabbalistic idea, but we'll try to just, it might be beyond the scope of this class, but I'll try to just drop it and, and we'll see if it, if it works. But on Shabbos, God, generally God creates the world with speech, right? Let there be light, there was light. God said, let there be a firmament, there was a firmament. On Shabbos, it says God rested but he still continues to create the world, just not through speech. He uses intellect. He thinks about the world instead of saying it, right? And the relationship that thoughts have with you are closer than the relationship that words have with you, right? Because I can know what you say. I can't know what you think. It's a lot more personal. So on Shabbos, the world has a more personal connection with God, a personal relationship with God. And therefore, entering that level of clarity of intellectual clarity is accessible because the tool that God is using to create the world is actually intellect, is thoughts. A little dose of Kabbalah for today. Does that clear? Make sense? Yeah. So on okay. Shabbat, you can get insight. <laughs> and the reason why we can get that insight is because even though to enter that level of clarity, we need to not be instinctual, we need to choose. To some level, our level of our instinctual love still leads to choice. Even though the love itself isn't chosen, it itself leads to choice. Because what do I do with that passion? I choose, even though the passion itself is instinctual, like I'm a passionate Jew because I care and because it's just who I am, right? But what do I do with that passion? I choose to refrain from sin. I choose to do a mitzvah. 
theoretically, I could have had been instinctually passionate and choose to do nothing with it. But I chose to do something with that passion. I chose that it will motivate me to do something. And because it still involves choice, still involves clarity of the mind, I will have access on Shabbos to this higher level of clarity, even if I have a lower level of love. Make sense? Yeah. So just to, to recap, um, let, let's just recap everything real quickly. There's about three points here. And then we'll, we'll, con we'll conclude with that. Or if anybody has questions, comments, thoughts, controversy, we'll, uh, we'll take that. So number one, there are two levels of kavana of passion, of reverence, of love. We're using all these words interchangeably. There is an intellectually developed level, which is what a tzaddik has. There is an inst inst instinctual level of kavana. Just deep down inside, I care. And that's what a animal, that's more like an animal, that's more like an angel. Animals and angels are similar. They don't choose, they just feel. If we, and that's what we often have if we're not using our minds to develop our relationship with God. We're just relying on our hearts. That's step number one. Number two, the tzaddik level is much higher. It's a much more qualitative passion than that of an angel, than that of instinctual love. Even if the love itself might not be as um, on the love meter as high, the passion itself is much more qualitative because it's chosen. Because there's that chosen level of love that a tzaddik has, of kavana that a tzaddik has, he's going to have a very heightened level of awareness of God, a clarity of God, an intellectual clarity of God. Whereas an angel, or uh, I mean us regular folk who don't have intellectual love, if we just rely at that moment on our emotional love, instinctual love, we're going to have a less clear um, awareness of God. But on Shabbos, we still can have that heightened awareness because on Shabbos, God creates the world not with speech, but with the mind, thinks about the world. So there's a closer relationship with the world to God, together with the fact that our instinctual love still leads to choice, even if it's not created by choice. It leads to choice, us choosing to do good or to do bad um, with the motivation that the Kavana comes with. That allows us to enter into a heightened level of clarity should we so choose on Shabbos. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, well, that's my story. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. But uh, any questions, comments, thoughts, commentaries, controversies? Turning off the recording. Oh, you go, go, yeah. go.